Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. This morning we're continuing in our study of the greatest sermon you'll find in the Bible, which is uh, the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus, communicated by Jesus, with very important concepts and truths for us who are a part of the kingdom of Christ. And last week we started a new section as we transitioned out of chapter 4. Of course, they didn't have chapters and verses back then. So um, as a continuation, there is a transition because at the end of chapter 5, we've, we have heard Jesus addressing the, the laws and the expectations of the laws and how we relate to people that we come in contact with, people we interact with in all the various places of our lives. But in chapter 6, there's a transition to focusing on our relationship with God and how we relate to God. And so uh, last week we began to see uh, where Jesus gave us three Um, kind of religious behaviors or pious works or works of righteousness. And uh, sometimes we get a little hung up on works of righteousness and religious behaviors. And even the word religious has kind of uh, been criticized and is suspicious because nobody wants to be religious. We want to be Christian. We even say that oftentimes. But religious in a good sense is doing the things that we would do out of devotion to God. That is the proper way to do religion and we're to do good religion. But then in this passage there is also this talk about rewards. And uh, as religion and the word doing religious behaviors causes us difficulties or we're wondering about that. We wonder a lot about rewards too. But rewards are a part of our life. And I think it tells us something very important about us. So first I want to start with a little quiz. I got a picture for you. Does anybody know what that is? I I knew them over there. Some uh, Stanley Cup. I guess it's connected to hockey. No, I I do know it's connected to hockey. But I I will say that as last year I would have never been able to pick that out. But since the Blues won, you know, that was pretty cool. And I watched the last game of the season. So I was a on-the-board fan then, you know. And I, and I think the season's going on now. Are they trying to get a second one? I think. I, I don't even know that much about hockey. How about this one? You know what that is? Of course. Football, Super Bowl. And the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. They have the trophy. But I always say, just remember what it's called. Let you think about that a little bit. But, but we like to share it around and let everybody, you know, have an opportunity at it. But it's, uh, how about this? Not in the world of sports, but in the world of film, Oscar. How about this one? I bet you might not know about that one. It's not, 
It's not uh, well-known. It's not world-renowned or anything. This has got Timothy Award. Matter of fact, we've given out Timothy Awards here in this very sanctuary several times. It's quite an accomplishment because you're in Awana and you accomplish all your books. You do, and I, I'm not even exactly sure of all the stuff, but you're supposed to accomplish all your books. It is not an easy task to get a Timothy Award. How about the next one? It's just another award, but... When I started looking at awards, rewards, this is a a teaching award that was given to a teacher at a university, and we've had several, a couple of people here that have gotten teaching awards for the university, and uh, and I know that at least in one case I remember the the award wasn't so big, but the check that they got with it was really nice, so they like that. And and I just want to camp on this idea of rewards a little bit because it is very difficult for us. We struggle with that a little bit. But in our passage today, there is going to be a reference to rewards. And I want us to understand a little bit about them and why they're important. Now, if you watched football this last season and... You know, I did, so uh, hopefully you saw some of this. But there were several coaches and former players that were selected this year to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now, I didn't show any of those, but, uh, you know, you get your head put into a mold and you got a bunch of heads, you know, that's kind of cool, I guess. But what I did notice is they came out and told these coaches And I saw mainly coaches and a couple of players. These are tough guys. I I guess part of the reason it hit me differently this year is because I've seen them coach through their lives and then go into different broadcasting businesses or whatever. And then to get recognition for going into the NFL Hall of Fame. And these are tough guys. I mean, they they played and they coached. And they came out and told them that they were selected. And on national TV in front of millions of people, they teared up and were just choking up trying to describe how much it meant to them. And as I thought about that, I thought, wow, you know, when I started looking at trophies and the awards that we receive, that we give in every kind of business and every kind of endeavor and every kind of school situation... It is a part of who we are that we like recognition. We like to be not recognized that we're greater, but that we've contributed, that we've made an impact, that our life counted for something. And when I seen these coaches kind of tearing up, that's what they talked about, that somebody saw what they produced and how they gave themselves to their the, the game of football, and that that was valuable, and other people saw that it was valuable. Now, I don't think that just happens just because we are interested in getting a lot of accolades. I actually think it's part of who we've been made to be. Think back with me to the Garden of Eden, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden. They weren't put in the Garden of Eden just to enjoy a vacation. They didn't just uh, sit around and wait for, you know, 
somebody to come and serve them. They had a job to do. God put them in the garden, designed them to rule and reign, to subdue the garden, to manage it, to care for it under the lordship, of the, under the leadership of God. They were to be representatives of God's authority in the garden, but they were to exert themselves. They were to be participants. And I think that that's part of our DNA. When C.S. Lewis wrote his book, Mere Christianity, one of the arguments for God in the book was that every single one of us has this sense of right and wrong, what is just and what is not just, and when there's a violation of what is correct and what is good. And he argued that that happens when we see it, especially when it happens to us. Even if we never think about right and wrong, all of a sudden if we're violated, we have this innate belief that there is an injustice happening here and this isn't right. And that is the very fingerprint of God's character built into us. Well, another fingerprint of God's character is that we exert ourselves. We're a part of his creation. We have obligations. We give of ourselves. We work hard. We're diligent. We manage and care for the things that are our responsibility in life. And part of the God's fingerprint is a recognition, a reward, uh, and uh, a commendation that you have done well, You've done good. You've done right. And so rewards are important to us. And in our passage, we're going to see that Jesus is talking with a backdrop of rewards. And he's talking about three major activities that religious people, pious people would do. And that is give to the needy, pray, and fast. And so chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, talks about these three things. But when he talks about prayer, he drops in a very important section called the Lord's Prayer, or more properly, the Disciples' Prayer, where Jesus teaches us about praying. And we're going to kind of jump around that. I'm going to pick up the part where it talks about praying and not praying like a hypocrite. And fasting, and not fasting like a hypocrite, which is tied to giving to the needy and not giving to the needy like a hypocrite. And then next week we're going to start a kind of a inner, a short series within the series on how do we pray, looking at the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer. So we're jumping around it because I want to draw our attention to what Jesus teaches us about how we are to be godly and not just look godly. So let's read the passage. Remember when I read the passage, we'll, uh, we'll say, I'll say this is the word of the Lord and you join in and say thanks be to God as we give affirmation to the truth of God's word to us this morning. Chapter 6, verse 5 through 8 and then we'll jump to 16 and read 16 through 18. Verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will speak to us about our lives as we seek to live as your people in the world. Open our eyes to your truth and speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this passage, I got three things I'd like to highlight. The first is pursuing reward is right and good because it glorifies God. In this passage, we see that Jesus is talking about religious practice, and this religious practice results in rewards. And I do think that in some sense, the religious practice is the 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 most common the most practiced the most regular religious practices of that day that he is highlighting but all religious practice all everything we do out of devotion to god kind of fits into that category but jesus highlights three and what he is addressing in this passage as he was last week is the reason the motivation we have for serving the Lord. The focus of our heart determines the meaning of our behavior. Jesus is saying that God is going to reward people who value God and value religious behavior, holy devotion, righteous acts for God's glory and God alone. Now, sometimes this makes us uncomfortable, as I mentioned already. Because we are convinced and are rightfully so convinced that our salvation does not depend on what we do and our standing before God. And even our commendable behaviors are not dependent solely on us. St. Augustine says it in a very profound way in his little sentence, O Lord, command what you will And give what you command. If you think about that. It says we're unable in our power to do what you would have us to do. But we long to fulfill your commands and your desires for us. And as you command, Lord, please enable us, empower us to do what you command of us to do. The the Bible certainly teaches two things. 
that many of the blessings that God gives us are a response to our faith. And that God enables us to respond. He enables us to live in a way that is pleasing to him. And then he abundantly blesses us with more blessing. But it is part of his work in us that helps us to stand in that place of receiving blessing. The other thing is that only God can bring about the changes in us that we need. We are so sinful. We are self-centered. We think about our own way. We're resistant to God's will that if we are left on our own, we will go off the rails. We will miss the mark that God sets for us. It is knowing that we must, it is knowing that reality that makes us work in salvation, but also work in salvation with complete dependence on God for his enabling. It is why we pray and ask God to make us the people he wants us to be. We cannot do that alone. But then when you add to that, that God wants to reward us. He wants to give us commendation. He wants to recognize our part, our work, our contribution to the establishment and growth of the kingdom of Christ. We feel like, well, you know, uh, yeah, that's amazing. We should really be floored by God's grace. Because God, as I said a little bit last week, wants us to be participants. He wants us to be engaged. Now, relating back to what I was talking about at the very beginning, talking about rewards, God's fingerprint is on us. And one of the ways that we see that is that we are part of the process of life happening here on the planet and God is bringing people under the banner of his love he is building his kingdom he is reaching out to people that don't know him to bring deliverance and purpose and salvation and we are participants of it God made it intentionally that we're a part of the process and when we walk in ways that that are advantages that contribute to the kingdom of Christ in the world God is made glad and God wants to reward he wants to honor he wants to give commendations to us and part of the motivation of our response to God is that we're participants we're in this this wonderful work of grace and kingdom building in our lives And that we should give ourselves to the rewards that God wants to give us. Now, we're not giving ourselves to rewards so that we get rewards for ourselves. We understand that God is bringing us into the real life and expansion and work of the kingdom. And that he's recognizing his work in our lives, but also recognizing our contribution. That's what he's made us to be. Co-laborers with him. Those who subdue and rule and reign and make impact, work hard and accomplish things. And God wants us to do those things. And he wants us to do those things under his guidance and under his direction for his glory. And he rewards us so that one day we'll cast our crowns before Jesus. And God will be all in all.
And that is a gracious invitation to each and every one of us. It makes me think of Paul. Paul thought this was true. I'm convinced it is how we could say with Paul what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than them all, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. You see the balance there? God has made you to be a participant. God expects you to step into the reality and the truth of the kingdom of Christ and to give your heart and your devotion, your energy, your determination to be his people, to represent his kingdom, that that we are to be involved. And when we're involved, he graciously recognizes and rewards us. It causes us to need prayer and to ask God to enable us to be what he wants us to be. But then God will graciously honor and recognize that work over and over scripture tells us to be working diligently to practice true religion so that we will be great in the kingdom of heaven that's kind of surprising listen to matthew chapter 20 verse 26 and 27 Jesus called them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles rule, it, rule over them, and their high priests exercise authority over others. Not so with you. Instead, talking to his disciples, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. What is surprising about that passage? is that Jesus is commending to his disciples the desire to be great and to be first. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, it is the very fingerprint of God that we want to contribute. We want to give of ourselves the something that is meaningful, that is filled with purpose, that will last for eternity. And there's nothing more important than what we do as disciples of Jesus in following our Lord and honoring him with our lives. And Paul knew how important that was. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. When Paul says, do you not know that a race, that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. When we think about the grace of God and his willingness to reward us as his people, I can't help but think about C.S. Lewis's little kid's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Love that story. And there's just, it's out on movie if you don't want to read the book. But uh, 
at the end of the movie, you know, Aslan is the lion, the king of the jungle, as Jesus is the king. And he gives his life on the stone table, gives his life before the wicked witch. Unbeknownst to her, Aslan comes back to life. There is this great battle, and Aslan conquers and wins the land of Narnia, along with all of the creatures and the children that are following him. But at the end of that book, What's the amazing scene is when Aslan comes in and puts the children who were a part of that reign, that, that, that battle, that conquest of Narnia where peace reigned. He puts those children on, on thrones where they are kings and queens of Narnia. Now in reality, they weren't the ones that won the battle. In reality, it was Aslan. But it is a picture of God's love and care and goodness and, and celebration of us when one day he will reward you for your diligence and your service to the king of kings. One day we are called in that elevated language in the New Testament of, as being joint heirs with Christ inheritors of God's reign and kingdom where we will be seated with Christ. God in his goodness blesses us, commends us, recognizes us. And because of these great riches, pursue in every situation of life the riches of Christ's kingdom. Be confident in the hardest places in your marriage relationships when you're battling with your spouse and you wonder if you want to stay in this relationship. Be confident that you can honor God in that situation. God will reward you one day for staying true to him. If you're feeling trapped in your financial situation, you can't seem to find a job, trust God. And in those difficult moments of life, don't forget who you are, who you serve, and what his plan and purpose is for us as his people. Pursue that reward, that treasure that we have in Christ. Now switching gears a little bit. Second, our motivations must be aligned with Christ in order to be rewarded. And Jesus uses three examples, as I said, giving to the needy. Don't do it as the hypocrites that do it just before people. When we pray, don't do it to be seen. And when we fast, there too. If you're fasting for the recognition you get for yourself, that is all the reward you get. But Jesus is pointing us to a new way, a better reality, a truth that is motivating to all of us that we can follow Christ in a way that brings commendation, that brings advancement in the kingdom of righteousness and, his, and, and brings glory to him. And that is to do these acts of religious service with the right motivation and attitude. 
So the thing that was undercutting much of the religious practice in the first century was doing these religious practices for other people to see. And when it came time to uh, do prayers, it was common in the Jewish community to pray at regular times. Josephus says there were two times a day, early in the morning and in the ninth hour. And as those things, and there might have been three times, but as those times, those periods came, the religious leaders would go and put themselves in the prominent places of the synagogue and they would put themselves on the street corners. They could have been discreet about it, but they weren't. And in the same way, when we pray, you know, we're always tempted to pray with consciousness of the people around us. But we want to learn to pray to God in a way that we're recognizing that He's in the room. I'm speaking to my Lord and Savior, and that's the only person I'm concerned about. I am praying at times when we're all in the room, and I'm concerned that not that you affirm my prayer or you think that I'm holy or got it together, but that I pray in a way that we're all coming before a true and right and holy God who loves us and wants to hear us. And we're taking stock of the importance of that moment for the right motivation and for the right reasons. And sometimes, you know, when we're thinking about prayer, some people think that they, the only right kind of prayer is to pray with spontaneity, just off the cuff. Or some think, well, you know, we should write down our prayers and it's helpful to be organized because we're coming before a great God and we need to be careful with what we say. I would say, do either or both. They're all fine. It's about the motivation of our heart that is key. And never let yourself be captivated by the temptation to pray to be seen holy. Because what God is after, what Christ is after from the people in his kingdom is not people that look holy, but people who are holy. Not people that look godly, but people who are godly. And in the same way, this happens in fasting. So you see, don't pray on the street corners, but go to a quiet room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. This is probably referring to kind of the inner closet room of a house. Go to a place where you won't be seen. And when you pray, even amongst the people you're with, Don't think about who sees you. Think about the God who's present with you. And the good way to practice that is to work that out by going to a quiet place, a private place. Train yourself. We talk about trying and training. We're we're learning the, the acts of righteousness and we're learning the practices of righteous people and pious people, religious people in a good sense of the word. And we learn by trying and by training in different contexts. So when it comes to prayer, praying alone, praying by ourselves, praying in confidence that the God who is unseen, but who is near to us, who loves us, who knows us he hears us and when we're good in that place we'll be better when we're praying with others I like the phrase in verse 7 and when you pray do not keep babbling on like pagans 
for they think that with their many words they will be heard. I can't help but think about that that experience in, on Mount Carmel when Elijah was challenging the prophets of Baal. You remember they built an altar and First Kings chapter 18, they built an altar and Elijah said, let the God who is alive, the God who hears us, the God who reigns and rules, light the altar. And he let the prophets of Baal ask Baal to light it first. And they prayed and cut themselves and made all kinds of noise and all kinds of negotiations and Elijah was even chiding them a bit. Maybe, maybe Baal is out on the commode, you know. <laughs> Actually, is what it says in Hebrews. Eh? Um, and then he finally says, forget it. That's enough. You, you think that God is going to hear, your God's going to hear just because you have a bunch of different words and you talk a lot? God who is real, he knows what we need. He meets us in the time of prayer. And it was demonstrated when Elijah said, stop, throw water, more water on the altar, and I'll pray. And in one quick moment, God lit that altar. Because God is real. He knows what we pray for. And he knows our needs before we ask. And so, when we practice our religious behaviors, praying and fasting. We need to do it with our motives aligned with Christ. And I meant to say, notice in verse 5, and when you pray. None of us would say that prayer is optional. All of us think that prayer is essential to the Christian life. I want you just to notice the phrase in verse 16. When you fast the same phrase I do think that our current church in America for most of us as Christians have neglected the discipline of fasting and there's good reasons to we're not required to we're not commanded to it's not it's not a law but here in this passage Jesus kind of expects it He kind of thinks it would be the normal practice of a Christian just as when you pray, when you fast. So I like to just encourage us to think again about the importance of fasting. In the first century when Jesus was speaking, fasting was essential. They practiced it regularly. Two days a week was the normal practice. Some Christians, after Jesus rose from the dead and the church started, didn't want to do it on the first, on the same days that the Jewish people did, which was Monday and Wednesday. So then they would fast two days a week on Tuesday and Thursday. But it's not mandatory that way it is very interesting I think when you look up the Didache which is a book or a letter written at 110 about 110 100 AD written to the churches giving them explanations about how they should carry on as a church very early document it was expected that we there would be normal fasts and and especially when it came to baptism. When someone was going to get baptized, they should fast for three days. The congregation should fast for one day in preparation for baptism. 
this practice, of course, has dropped out of our current church, but I would want us to consider putting it back in. Now, uh, we've been doing the furnace, which is uh, er the first and third Saturdays of every month, meeting at 9 o'clock on Saturdays and calling it the furnace because what we're doing is trying to train ourselves into the practices of discipline, spiritual disciplines, devotion, where we train our hearts to, in new ways, be connected with God and follow him. And we're, we're practicing prayer, we're practicing solitude, and fasting is on the horizon. So if you uh, want to think about that, we'd invite you to that as well. But when it comes to fasting, I think we should hear the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the preacher who was killed in World War II. He would say that fasting for Christians is the pains of death on the old self and the experience of being renewed into Jesus Christ, he who lived, who died and was buried and was raised and exalted to the right hand of God. The practice of fasting, therefore, is to make disciples more willing and more joyous in following the designated path of our Savior, doing the works required of us. Fasting is a spiritual discipline, but we don't want to do it because other people will see us. It reminds me of going, when I'm fasting, go out to lunch with some people and they're like, I'm like, well, I'm just not hungry today. And they're kind of like, what? Never seen Ed say he's not hungry today. That can't be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, I'm not feeling it. You know, I try to tiptoe around the fasting. <laughs> but you can just tell some people. It's not that you're telling them so that they look at you and say, wow, he's fasting. You do it with the right motivation. We need to align our motivations to Jesus Christ in our acts of worship and devotion. For God will reward those things. Third, we should pursue kingdom works like prayer and fasting as faithful servants. This I'll take and finish up quickly. Can't read the passage, but... Remember there was a parable of Jesus about talents. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 19 and following, you have this account where the, the owner of the place is going on a trip. He brings his three servants in. He gives one five talents, one two, and one one. The five talents, when he finally comes back and calls account, has double the talents. The one with two comes back and he has double the talents. The one that received one, He hid it. He buried it because he was fearful of his master. But what's interesting about the passage is that for the ones that doubled their talents, the master invited them into the joy of the household. He commended them. He rewarded them. He included them in the joy of the household. The one that buried his treasure lost what he had. Faithful servant, if you are a part of the kingdom of Christ and if you're just investigating, we we want you to investigate. 
We want you to find out about Jesus and know who he is because life is found in him. But one of the things that's wonderful about life found in Jesus is that he gives new life to us. And as servants of Christ in recognition of the kingdom of Christ, we are to take the talents, the gifts, the 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 opportunities, the abilities that he has given us and use them for his kingdom. Because God wants to reward you. And then God wants to be glorified and to swoop us up into the glory of that moment. And he is saying, don't miss it. Don't bury your treasure. Invest. Be a part. Work. Give your dedication and your energy to following hard after God. Remember, We should be godly, not just appearing godly. Remember, we need to stand in the place of a relationship with God that is real because he is real, not because of others, and cultivate our heart for God. And finally, our pursuit of God is not a public affair primarily, but one of the secret motivations of our heart. We must attend to those. We must look after those. Because if we neglect what really drives us, we could miss what God has for us. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good and gracious, and you are kind to us. You are abundantly good in that you reward us and you give us commendation even as you enable us to follow you and to serve you. And the call for each of us is not to be distracted and not to bury our treasure but to be invested, to work for the kingdom, to walk in step with your spirit, to allow you to enable us to to live for righteousness and holiness in the world. So that your kingdom will be seen and your presence will be recognized. And more and more people will come to see that life is found in Jesus. And one day your kingdom will reign for all to see forever and ever. And will be swooped up in the glory of that kingdom. Because of this we praise you. We ask your enabling power in us. Help us to walk as you would call us to walk. In Jesus' name, amen.